The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. All right, church, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's there near the middle. If you're joining us today, first time and not used to the Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you'll just grab that, you can look in the table of contents and find the book of Ecclesiastes. We're kind of walking our way through there this summer together. Ecclesiastes 6. And while you're turning, let me just remind you, as Dave was telling us in the offering time, directly following the service in the choir room, there will be another informational about the Boston trip. And just a few spots left on that. We did make an adjustment. The team will not be staying in a non-air-conditioned upstairs room, but they will be staying in hotel rooms. So, if that uh, if that didn't tickle your fancy last time because of the weather, then we want to invite you to come back to that. And that team is looking well, looking forward to that trip. And then, of course, on your way out today, there are the VBS business cards. We want you to invite families with young children to come to Vacation Bible School. It'll be a great time for them to be exposed to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we would love for you to join us after the service in the fellowship hall. We'll have some sandwiches together. You can ask some questions, talk a little bit more about what we do here as a church. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. Today we're just going to deal with these first seven verses, I believe. So uh, let me read along here. You read silently, right? I read out loud for us. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men, or it's really it's heavy among men. And a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, he does not even have a proper burial, or probably better translated, he doesn't, he doesn't die, he doesn't have a burial at all, and he does not uh, even have a proper burial, then I say, better is the miscarriage of the stillborn than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity and its name is covered in the obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It is better than that person. Even if the other man lives a thousand years two times over and does not enjoy good things, do not all go go to the one place. All a man's labor is for his mouth and yet his soul or his appetite is not satisfied. Let me bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we now come to this time together and I pray that You would teach us from the Word. I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know You as the Lord and Savior of their life, that they would turn from their sin today, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, and have their eternal destiny changed from hell to heaven. Lord, I pray for every believer in the room today as we discuss a topic that is uh, probably oh so convicting for all of us, Lord, contentment. Pray that You would help us to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would learn, as the Apostle Paul said, that whatever state we are in, that we would learn to be content and that we would be content with godliness 
knowing that our inheritance is not on this earth, but it is in heaven with you. And that life is not about amassing wealth, but it is amassing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray in this time together You would help us to grow and to mature into a great walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall thank You for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kind of gave that away a little bit in my prayer. Basically, if you're taking notes, the dominant theme of this little section today is to be a content person in the Lord. And uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, that's probably one of the more difficult doctrines of Scripture is to have contentment. Uh, it always seems to be a part of the human nature that we always want a little bit more. Uh, somebody saw a t-shirt one time and it said, uh, it says, I have everything I want except what I don't have. And uh, everybody just kind of seems to want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. In fact, I was reading early this morning. Y'all might have seen that story. Uh, craziest thing I was reading this morning about these two landowners. And uh, one guy had a, a whole lot more than the other fellow, but this guy had plenty of land. And uh, they uh, re recently they had this little, they played a little game between themselves. Anybody read this this article? And uh, so they uh, they were playing a game, and the fellow that had all of this land, they met on his property, and he said, I'll tell you what. They said to the other guy, he said, in the morning time, you start walking on my property. And however far you can walk from sun up and be back at this point by sundown, I'll give you that property. Y'all hear about this? Next morning, that's what it says. Next morning, this guy gets up, takes off walking, and he's walking, he's thinking, well, I'm in pretty good health. The guy was in pretty good health. He said, I walk. So he walks and walks and walks, and this gets to late afternoon, and by this time he's wanting a little bit more and a little bit more. And finally, he turns around and he says, okay, I've got to get back. So he starts walking back and walking back, and the sun is getting lower toward the horizon. Finally, he gets, I mean, it's late in the early evening. The sun is about to get down to the horizon, and he takes off running for the finish line. And he's running and running and running. And finally, just about the time the sun crest goes all over down to the horizon, he crosses the finish line and falls to the ground. And they turn this dude over, and blood is coming out of his nose. And his lungs had expanded too far and he died. And I read in the bottom of the article, it said, how much land is enough? The six feet from his head to his heels. And most of us have a problem with that, don't we? We always want what we don't have. We're always looking for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more instead of being content and trusting and resting in what the Lord Jesus has given to us in our life. And in the text that's before us today, just these seven verses, I just want to give you two principles, two illustrations, and two applications, and we'll call it quits for today, okay? So follow with me. In verse 1 and 2, you'll really find just two principles. Look here if you would. Verse number 1. He starts off by saying, there is an evil, this, there is this evil or wickedness which I have seen under the sun. And he repeats that about 35 times in this book, what he has seen under the sun. And he says, and it is prevalent, some of your translations says it is prevalent or it is common among men, but really the word here means it is weighty. 
It is heavy. Just like that story I was just telling you that I read about. It's heavy. It's burdensome. This is, this is kind of an evil that it's among men. And it says, a man to whom God has... Here's the first principle. That God is the one who gives great gifts. Look down in the text. A man to whom God has given riches, and that is the word for money and wealth. That is the word for possessions and honor. That is the word for position or prestige or place in life. And so it is God who authors these things. It is God. What does the book of James chapter 1 and verse number 17 say? That every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is the one who gives. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from your skill level or from your ability or what you think that you know or who you know. Promotion comes from above. God is the one who gives gifts to human beings. And if you want to be the kind of person who is content and resting and trusting in what you have in your life, rather than always seeking to get a little bit more land and a little bit more money and a newer car and a newer this and a little bit better of that, if you want to be content with what you have, then you must begin at the place that says, God is the one who gives everything to begin with. Right. God has given these things. But now I want you to see a second principle that is also important in this verse. God has given riches and wealth and honor so that His soul lacks nothing of all that He desires. But not only is God the one who gives gifts, God is the one who empowers us to enjoy them. Now brothers and sisters and friends that are here today, you must get that principle as well. We can have a rah-rah-ray session and say hallelujah and glory to God. God is the author of all that is good. He is the one that gives gifts. But if you walk out of here today and you don't understand that it is also God who's the author of the enjoyment of what we have, then you'll fail to get the point today. If you want to be content, that must come by the grace and the mercy and the gift of Almighty God. All of the rest of the people in the world, they will never be satisfied at having enough possessions. The only satisfaction that will come in your life is through a relationship with the Lord, through His contentment, through His grace, through His mercy, through His empowering of allowing you to be satisfied with what God gives you. Look at what it says. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. Let me just take a couple of minutes to kind of teach that verse to you. I was reading this week and uh, some of the uh, some of the Hebrew writers of the Midrash, which is just simply a, it's an old commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, they would write, and when they got to that passage, they got fearful of where it says that God doesn't allow them to, or God does not empower him to enjoy what he was giving to them. And in an effort not to make God responsible for that, they have all of these little routes around. Well, what you don't understand is that it was this person's problem and they really couldn't enjoy themselves. They gave it away or it was stolen from them. But that's not what the text says. The text says that God is the one who gives gifts and it must be God who empowers us to enjoy gifts. And in this situation, God did not allow them to enjoy that. 
Sometimes we are led away of our own lusts, of our own sinfulness. That's what the book of James says, that our own, we are not tempted by God, but we're led away of our own lust. And so sometimes not being able to enjoy what God gives to us comes from our own inward sinfulness to have more, a desire to have what we do not have. Sometimes it is the work of Satan who is tempting and trying. Isn't that what happens in the book of Job? That Satan goes to God and says, he has everything, but let me take away his family. Let me take away his wealth. Let me take away his livestock and then see if he won't curse you and die. But I remind you that even in the book of Job, although God is not the efficient cause of Job's plight, God stands behind all that happens in his life. And I would say to you that in your life, God always stands behind the trials and the tribulations and even our own sinfulness and the workings back and forth between our life and the powers of darkness. And God is trying to teach us a lesson that if you spend a lifetime trying to amass wealth and possessions by yourself and thinking that you will enjoy them and love them and that you can live a satisfying life on your own, you'll wind up hurting yourself terribly and those that are around you. The two principles from the text today in verse number 2 are this. God is the true author of every good gift. And if I'm going to enjoy life and live a joy-filled existence, it must come by the grace and the mercy of the Lord. And if you want to learn to be content, you'll keep those two things in mind that all that I have comes from God, and if I truly want to be satisfied with what I have, I must ask Him to give me a heart that enjoys what I have rather than longing for what I do not have. Let me give you two illustrations. Look back down at the text. The next few verses give us two illustrations. One of having a lot of children and one of having a lot of life. And in the Jewish culture, that would be the, probably two of the largest blessings you could have. Having a whole bunch of children and having a very long life. Look at what it says here in verse number 3. If a man fathers a hundred children, right? Or that's probably in italics in your Bible. It just simply means a mass, a whole bunch. It's meant to be hyperbole here, you know? It's just saying a whole bunch of children. If a man fathers a, or if a couple has a hundred children and they live many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied. His appetite is the inward part of that person. The word here, and maybe you have appetite, it's really the soul of a human being, the, the center point of the heart. If you have all of these children and all of these blessings and all of these lives, everything that you think would make you happy, if you have all of that, but you're not satisfied, look what the text says. Even if he doesn't have a proper burial, and like I said, it just simply means if he was not to die at all, then I say, better the miscarriage than he. Now listen, I want you to take a time out and put a parenthesis here and listen to your pastor, your shepherd for a moment. This all week I've been kind of thinking through this, this text. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the hard part about preaching expositionally is you can't avoid any passage of scripture. But I think I need to be pastoral here for a moment and I want to say that I know that in a church this size, there are sisters in this room who over time have experienced miscarriage, stillborn. 
I want you to understand as we walk through this text, what he's ultimately saying is that that miscarried child who is a real living human being. You say, Pastor, are you talking about a six-week-old? Yes. Are you talking about at the moment of conception? Yes. A real human being. When they die in infancy or miscarried or stillborn, that life does not cease to exist. They live forever in the presence of the Almighty God of heaven. Amen? And who knows, but maybe someday in the future, God will allow that child to grow up in a world and be in His presence. This text is saying, now listen, I want you just to study with me. Think, alright? Put your thinking caps on. Look at what He's saying in this text. A stillborn child, a miscarried child, is better off resting in the presence of God than a human being that has a hundred children and lives a long life and has everything they want and is never satisfied with what God has given. Now all week long, I've been wrestling with that. Now, I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to think through that. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. Now, the Bible is either right or it's wrong. But I want you to think about that. Do you believe that? That a stillborn child that is alive and present and resting in the grace and mercy of God is better off than one of us who lives a lifetime and has everything that the world has to offer, but we're not satisfied in our soul with what God has given How many people do you think played that Powerball last night? How many people do you think think in their minds that if they won that Powerball and took the payout of $280 million by themselves, that they would be satisfied? And God comes along in this passage through the inspired author and says, you could take the payout of $280 million and have everything that you want but if you're not satisfied in what God has given you, you're worse off than a child that was not afforded the opportunity to grow up in this world. Discontent. I read that this week and I began thinking about this. And maybe this, like I said, just a little application to throw your way. Maybe you ought to write this down. This is a question I'm still wrestling with in my mind. That illustration. Now let me read the next one and I'll say it to you. Look at the next illustration. Look at verse 6. Even if the other man, or even if the man lives a thousand years twice... See, this is hearkening back to the book of Genesis uh, and it's talking kind of about... It's wanting to bring back to your mind Methuselah who lived 969 years, you know, this almost a thousand years. And so he's saying, listen, if you were to live twice as long as Methuselah, right a thousand years twice, and does not enjoy the good things, do not all go to the same place. Here's, what I, here's the question I've been wrestling with this week. Those two illustrations have all the children and all the possessions and live 2,000 years, but not have the satisfying grace of God in your soul. You're worse off than a child that is in the presence of God. What does that illustration 
teach us about our human hearts. And what does that teach us about God and what He wants? Now, will you wrestle with that this week for me? Just just think through that. You see, contentment, being satisfied, is the overflow of a heart of faith and trust and confidence in God. The reason why people want and want and want and want more and more and more and more and more is because they've never come to the satisfying, faith-filled knowledge that Jesus Christ is greater. He is the treasure above all and that He died for us on the cross, that He rose again, and that every human being that puts their faith and confidence in His sacrifice has eternal life out in the future and right now. That all that we need in life is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have that confidence in your soul, you're well on your way to being content with what God gives you. But when you constantly want more, it's the evidence that you do not truly trust God in your heart. I say that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I tell you that you need to trust Him Stop running. Stop amassing. Stop trying to live life for yourself. Come to the only One who can give grace and mercy. Trust Him and you'll find eternal satisfaction. But I say to every believer in this room today, don't we as well struggle with materialism? Don't we struggle with wanting more than what we have? I wish I had time today maybe delve into what about in the business world? What's the, what's the balance between contentment and ambition? Is it alright to have ambition? I think that it is alright to have ambition as long as it is submitted and it is broken and it is sacrificed underneath the banner of contentment and faith and confidence in what Jesus has done for us. If your ambition causes you to have an idol in your life above the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is gone awry. You say, how would I know if my ambition is over top of my contentment and faith in Jesus Christ? If your ambition is so much in the business world and you need so much that you wouldn't have to go to work more often than you are able to worship with God's people, I'd say be careful about your ambitions. If you're in this room and you are so sold on a relationship with another human being that that relationship trumps or comes before your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's become an idol and that ambition is wrong and you should be content with Christ. I feel alone up here today. Contentment. I say to all of us, ask yourself that one this week. What is that? How is that right? So you're telling me that every time I watch a movie or I, I watch the red carpet, I watch these awards and people have millions of dollars and huge families and everything, everything that you could want. You're telling me that that person is worse off than a baby who's not even been able to live life in this world, but they're in the presence of God. Absolutely, because the text says that they are resting with God. Are you resting and trusting in God and His Christ. 
Or are you trusting yourself? And what you can accomplish and what you can do and what you want. Two applications. Look down at uh, verse number 7. Um, all a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the soul or the appetite is not satisfied. I think probably soul is probably the best translation here. The reason why it's translated appetite in many of your translations is because it, this word here, this nefesh, has a, has a, a broad range of meaning, and oftentimes it does mean appetite. But in these first seven verses, you can obviously see that there's a whole bunch of metaphorical language that's going on. And so I don't think the strict literal version here of appetite is exactly what the author's getting at. He's saying, listen, you labor all of your life for what you stick in your belly and you spend very little time laboring for your soul. Two applications. The first one is what I've been talking about this whole time, seek to be content with what God has given and is giving and will give to you in your life. Steve, how do I, how do I, how do I work at being content? Work at trusting Jesus. Seek to see that what you have and where you are is the very gift and mercy of God and that He is divine, and He is sovereign, and He is in control, and wherever you find yourself in life, He is not unaware of where you are. He knows what is going on. But I don't like where I am. Well, join the club. There's a lot of us that don't like that at times, right? Don't seek all of your life asking the question why if you're not able to get that answer. Seek to look to Him to say, Lord, I know this is a tough situation. I don't want to be here, but I know that You are in control and I want to be satisfied in You. I trust You. Maybe an application that you could use this week. Do you ever speak out loud to God? You know, I say that, and everybody in this room, of course I do. I pray out loud all the time. But I find that the vast majority of Christians pray silently. And do you know what happens a lot? Most of the time when we're praying silently, we're just thinking and not praying. You ought to speak to God sometimes out loud. And you ought to speak back to the Lord His very words. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. If you want to be content with what God has given to you, then learn to speak to Him in faith saying, I trust you. I can't see the end. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel looks like a train coming my way. But I will trust you. I will follow you. I will get up today and I will pray and I will walk with you because you are in control and you know best. And I'll be content with what you've given me. Second application would be this. I think Eugene Peterson translates verse 7 by saying, you work to feed your stomach, but your soul is hungry. 
I wonder how many people in this room today, me included, we go to work or we watch the stock market and look at our retirement. We do what we do every day. And the driving force behind that is not so bad. And we want to feed our stomach. We want to feed our family. We want to put a, a, a roof over our heads. We want to make sure that we're, you know, that we're, that we're living life and we're operating. But we spend most of our time and most of our education and most of our effort seeking for the physical blessings of the world. And very little time feeding our soul on the Word of God and on prayer and in fellowship with brothers and sisters and growing on the inside. The Bible teaches that the outer man is decaying every day. Now you may be like me in tip-top physical condition. Why, why do you laugh? Why do you laugh so? But no matter how good a condition you are on the inside or on the outside, your body is dying. The Bible says, Paul says, but on the inside, the inward man is being renewed day by day. How much have you grown this last year in your walk with Jesus? How satisfied are you in your soul with Christ? You want to be content? Don't just feed the outside. Feed the soul on the Word of God and on prayer and on corporate worship and on fellowship and on sacrifice and service and living a life for the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll find that you'll have true contentment in your heart. I was telling you at the beginning about that story that I read this morning. That actually, uh, that's a story that was actually written in 1886 by a Russian author named Leo Tolstoy called How Much Land Does a Man Need? I thought I'd tell you that on the front end uh, without telling you what year it came from because I didn't want you to check out on an illustration that was 110 years old. But can I say to you on the tail end of this, in 1886, human beings were still struggling with discontentment and with materialism and with always reaching out after smoke, after something they didn't have that they thought would satisfy them. And as far as I can read in history, human beings have been doing that since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And I'm pretty sure that in this room today, there are human beings right here and you know in your heart that you struggle too with desiring more that you have. Wanting more. Always wanting a leg up. Always needing this. Always want, if I just have that, if I just, if I just, if I just, instead of being satisfied in your heart with what Christ has done, is there room for ambition? Of course. Is there room for promotion? Of course. Is there room to be driven? Yes. But all of those things must be submitted to the contentment that comes through daily trusting Jesus Christ. Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In just a minute, we'll stand and sing together. But before we do, nobody looking around, if you're here today, I want to say to you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you say, man, Steve, I'm not sure about all that Bible stuff, but I've sure been on that rat race of trying to get everything in the world, and it's never working for me. And I come to you today and I say, listen, Jesus died for people like us. We're in the same boat together. Jesus died for our sin and He rose again so that you could find your ultimate fulfillment, your joy in Him. You can stop looking today and start finding fulfillment, contentment, joy in Jesus Christ as He takes your sin away. Say, how does that happen right where you are? In your own voice, in your own mind, speak to Him. Tell Him that you're tired of living life on your own. You know that you have sinned and that He died and rose again for you. And you want to make Him the Lord of your life. From a sincere and a humble heart, He'll become your Lord today. And you too can walk with Him like us. I have a sense in my heart that maybe some of our people here as we enter in on the summer, some of our people here, you might need to say in your own heart, you know, there's... There's a few areas where I've been discontented with what I have. I I need to give that over to the Lord. It's hard. It's tough. I don't like where I am. I don't like that situation. But I need to say again in my heart today that God is in control. And that He has ordered the steps of my life. And I'll trust Him. And I'll be content with what He gives. I want to encourage you to do that today. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.